this is Dr. Bob Evans, and welcome to our podcast, Parental Alienation from Couch to Courtroom and Beyond. We will discuss the resisting and refusing dynamic, commonly referred to as parental alienation, how you'll know it's happening in your case, and what can be done about it. Parental alienation can cause stress and trauma in high-conflict cases. These podcasts focus on how attorneys and mental health professionals can support families and children. This is Dr. Bob Evans, and welcome to our new podcast focusing on the phenomenon of parental alienation, moving from therapist's couch to the courtroom and beyond. Welcome to episode eight of these uh, podcasts, and I wanted to remind everyone that these podcasts are for, well, basically anyone who's interested in the area or topic of parental alienation. And if you are not an attorney or a therapist, but you're a a parent involved in this phenomenon, please tell them about these podcasts so they can get some other information that might be uh, of interest to them and might help your case. So please do share this with others. And also, as I mentioned um, at the end of the last few podcasts, anyone who's interested in taking the courses that we offer up on naopas.com, type in the coupon name podcast, and you will get a 50% discount from the course costs of those courses. So uh, please uh, take advantage of that, and we'd love to see more folks getting educated on this topic uh, than than they presently uh, are right now. Today I wanted to go into the area of counseling and therapy. Um, typically the traditional counseling family therapy fails in any cases where we're talking about severe parental alienation. And I want to talk about why that happens and what courts and attorneys need to know about this phenomenon. And and it's not just attorneys and, and courts. It's also mental health professionals to understand a little bit of the dynamics of why traditional counseling and therapy does not work. In fact, the research is pretty clear. It exacerbates the alienation and makes the situation worse, although it obviously is a redundancy. So we're going to talk about why therapy doesn't work. In so many cases, I find that courts will continue to refer litigants involved in parental alienation, particularly those involved with severe parental alienation, will refer these people to counseling or therapy with a local therapist who maybe in many, many cases has been successful in working with families and children. But when it comes to alienation cases, they may not have so much experience. So we point out to the courts that it's a myth that severely alienated children are best treated with traditional therapy or therapeutic techniques, especially while they're living primarily with the favored or alienating parent. Unfortunately, professionals in both the legal and the mental health fields continue to refer severely alienated children 
and rejected parents to these therapeutic approaches, only to discover months later that not only has the situation not been resolved, but has actually gotten worse. And regardless of these results, courts will frequently continue to order another round of the same or similar therapy, perhaps with a different therapist, while the children remain living with the favored or alleged alienating parent. Research and clinical experience indicate that therapeutic treatment of children who remain under the care of their favored parent is unlikely to repair a rejected parent and alienated child's relationship. In fact, it has frequently been the situation where the situation gets worse. Numerous uh, therapists, counselors, researchers have demonstrated this since as early as 1994. Further, there are no studies, absolutely no studies, that have demonstrated the effectiveness of any form of psychotherapy in resolving severe alienation in children who have no regular contact with the rejected parent. None. Some therapists treat alienated children's problems as a child's phobia to the rejected parent. Having this perspective, they use cognitive behavioral therapy methods, particularly systematic desensitization in which gradual exposure to the feared parent or rejected parent is paired with relaxation training. What you're going to find is that the rejected parent is treated as some sort of a toxic object and therefore they require this treatment via um, some kind of phobic diagnosis. Um, A researcher by the name of uh, Garber back in 2015, gave two case examples using these methods. After 17 sessions interspersed with the therapist's ongoing support, an eight-year-old girl was able to tolerate only online contact with her alienated mother before litigation erupted and the reunification efforts were suspended. The second case illustration reported that after seven sessions, a 12-year-old boy was able to be nearly free of anxiety while imagining contact with his alienated or rejected father. Yet the case report notably included no information about the child's actual reconciliation with his father. Lampell in 1986 reported on six cases using phobia reduction techniques. None resolved the child's alienation. One reason why phobia reduction techniques fail to overcome children's refusal to spend time with a parent is that most of these children, except preschoolers, do not really fear their rejected parent. If they act frightened of the parent, often this is a a, a ruse or to avoid contact. It's a, a, a false reaction. It's not genuine. So the lack of a genuine fear is evident in the child's uninhibited denigration, expression of hatred, disrespect towards that rejected parent, as opposed to the um, withdrawn behavior typical of children's interactions with a feared adult. And it's interesting, if you really feared an adult, would you really go toe-to-toe with them and show them disrespect and call them names to their faces? chances are that's not really a good approach. You certainly wouldn't do that as an adult, would you? 
someone pulled you over and, and started to argue with you, would it be a good idea to start calling them names? Don't think so. Even with children who have learned to fear a parent, systematic desensitization may miss the mark for another reason. This treatment method helps children gradually overcome irrational anxieties toward places and objects. But an alienated child's aversion to one parent is not solely internally generated. Phobic children are surrounded by adults who encourage them to overcome their fears and who emphasize the benefits of doing so. By contrast, alienated children who live in the home in which their problem arose are around a parent or perhaps siblings or other relatives who at the very least provide no effective encouragement to overcome their aversion and in most cases are actively contributing to the perpetuation of the fear that the child has towards the rejected parent. So the research tells us that there's a significant difference between the traditional therapeutic techniques and the um, reduction of alienation as a function of children being placed for an extended period of time with the rejected parent. This has been documented by a number of researchers over the years. Yes, there have been problems with small sample sizes and a lack of random assignment to the treatment conditions, etc. But the overall, the collective weight of the literature suggests that contact with the rejected parent is essential to healing the damaged parent-child relationship. There is no evidence supports the efficiency or the effectiveness of treating severely alienated children while they remain primarily in the custody of the favored or alienating parent. And at the same time, they're out of touch with the rejected parent. So the contact with the rejected parent is really a significant component to repairing the relationship. Not only is such treatment unlikely to succeed, it postpones getting the children the relief that they need. When, when an evaluation finds that a child is severely or irrationally alienated from a parent and that in the best interest of the child is to repair the damaged relationship, the evaluator, judge, attorneys should exercise caution about recommending a course of traditional psychotherapy while the child remains apart from the rejected parent. Courts should... Uh, get recommendations for therapy where such advice is given where, number one, there's a, a time frame after which the impact of the treatment will be assessed. What we see in these cases is the treatments go on for years and there's no change. Then therapists are changed, they switch out, and they go for more periods of contact with no effect or actually a worsening in effect. So courts need to have some kind of a, a time frame and say, okay, how are we going to measure success? The other issue is there should be some explicit criteria for evaluating the progress or the success of the treatment. What's, what, how do we know when the treatment has worked? What's, what are we looking for in terms of behavior? And finally, there should be some contingency plans in the event that the treatment is totally ineffective. So we're going to just keep doing this over and over again. No, we need to have some kind of a contingency plan that says, look, if this therapy doesn't work, then let's try something different. 
one of the things that needs to be tried is a no contact between the children, the alienated children, and the uh, alleged alienating parent. So one of the contingencies, for example, might be where a judge informs the litigants that a failed course of therapy might result in an increase in the child's time with the rejected parent. Or if it still doesn't get any better, then maybe the court will consider a reversal of custody. This might increase the child's motivation to participate in the therapeutic approach meaningfully, and it might encourage the favored parent to support the uh, therapeutic gains. Therapeutic gains being a resumption of a relationship with a previously rejected parent. A therapist's facilitation of a child's complaints about a parent. A rehashing of the conflict uh, between the parent and the child or the parent's past behavior certainly could be counterproductive and prevent the child and the parent from ever having experiences that move the relationship closer to in a more positive direction. Interventions can teach children and parents about the nature of negative stereotypes. We talked about that in a previous podcast. The interventions can talk about the hazards of selective attention, can talk about the memory and perceptual distortions that can occur in these cases. The therapist can also talk to the importance of recognizing multiple perspectives There are other ways to look at things, not just the way one looks at it, the way they are at a particular moment. They can talk about critical thinking skills. They can talk about effective communication and conflict management. They can talk about the value of maintaining a positive and compassionate relationship with both parents. These are suggestions, by the way, that came out of a paper written by Richard Rorschach back in 2010. Courts should be informed that that psychotherapy is most likely to be effective if there has been no prior failed attempts, that the parent with whom the child is aligned, i.e. the favored parent, is likely to cooperate and support the child's treatment and progress. The child has ample time to experience care and nurturing from the rejected parent. So this is basically the idea that psychotherapy might work if There were no previous failures in terms of therapeutic intervention, that the parent with whom the child is aligned, i.e. the favored parent, is likely to cooperate and support the child's progress towards having a relationship, and that the child has enough time to experience the uh, nurturing from the rejected parent. But the opposite is very important. On the other hand, if one or more attempts of psychotherapy have already failed, to, re- to remedy the alienation or the relationship problem, if the alienating parent or the favored parent is perhaps likely to sabotage the treatment, if the child is empowered to avoid contact with the rejected parent, the court needs to understand that ordering another round of psychotherapy without changing the amount of contact that the child has with each parent is very unlikely to remedy the problem. And can postpone or even prevent effective intervention until it's too late. In circumstances where treatment failure is highly likely and may aggravate problems, court-appointed therapists should not unnecessarily prolong treatment. Therapists should, early in the treatment process, feel ethically bound to inform the court that the therapeutic intervention should be discontinued given the the situation, the lack of cooperation, lack of progress.
so you know, given the state of the art of, of therapy with severely alienated children, the question remains, why do legal and mental health practitioners continue to refer these severe alienation cases uh, and the rejected parent to non-specialized therapists? Well, the answer may lie in the fact that these cases are profoundly counterintuitive. That is, therapists who attempt to treat these cases without adequate skills are likely to find themselves presiding over a cascade of clinical and psychosocial disasters. The lack of awareness of the counterintuitive nature of parental alienation is a major problem that affects observations, findings, conclusions, decisions, and recommendations related to these cases. Exacerbating this situation are clinicians who have much experience in general but lack deep experience with alienation. They tend to have greater confidence in their incorrect conclusions and not surprisingly, people who attempt to use intuition to solve counterintuitive problems tend to have greater confidence in their conclusions, whether they're right or wrong. Next time, in our next episode on parental alienation, we'll talk more in detail about some of the counterintuitive characteristics that mental health professionals, attorneys, courts are confronted with and very frequently will get, get, it, get it wrong, unfortunately. So we, we will come back for the next one. Thank you for coming in this time. And remember, go to naopas.com, type in uh, podcast for your coupon, and you will get your 50% discount. Look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you for coming in. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more information on this topic, please visit www.drbobevans.com or www.naopas.com. We offer classes for both legal and mental health professionals to help educate them on the signs and strategies of parental alienation and how to move forward for a healthier environment for the children of divorce. Please visit www.naopas.com and sign up for our courses and use coupon code PODCAST for a 50% discount. Mm-hmm.